This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank, the International Leaders Summit, Lancer Broadcasting Corporation, and the Pledge Radio in Michigan. I'm Joel Sami, your co-host, joined by economist Natasha Sartorj, co-founder of the International Leaders Summit. America's Roundtable brings together leading voices from business, government, media, and the public policy arena. Thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. This weekend, we are delighted to have Deborah LaPravade. Deborah LaPravot is a senior investigator for The Century. The Century is an investigative and policy team that follows the dirty money connected to African war criminals and war profiteers and seeks to shut those benefiting from violence out of the international financial system. Deborah focuses on South Sudan and the Democratic Republic of Congo. Prior to joining The Century, Deborah retired after 20 years with the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Deborah served as a supervisory special agent on the International Corruption Unit at FBI headquarters. Deborah was instrumental in initiating the FBI's kleptocracy program and seized more than $1 billion from foreign corrupt officials. Deborah, it is an honor to have you on America's Roundtable, and we extend to you a warm welcome. Welcome, Deborah. Well, well, thank you. It's so great to be here today. I'm, I'm very happy to be uh, speaking to both of you. Deborah, our listeners in Michigan, the Midwest, and across America represent a generous citizenry and engaged taxpayers donating and volunteering to assisting our fellow Americans and also countries around the world. That is very unique about the American spirit, and philanthropy is a major part of America's exceptionalism. While U.S. taxpayer funds go to assist people in need around the world, a plethora of reports have shown that a number of these countries, recipients of U.S. taxpayer aid, are governed by corrupt officials and in places which do not have the rule of law or have a weak judicial independent system. Hence, corruption is not investigated and illicit financial outflows has become a serious problem due to global banks and lawyers that aid bad actors. Based on the data released by the World Bank and IMF, over $1 trillion per year move unrecorded out of emerging markets and developing countries into Western economies. The outflow of illicit money from emerging market and developing countries drains hard currency reserves, heightens inflation, reduces tax collection, curtails investment, and undermines free trade. It has its most serious impact on the poor as funds shift abroad, lost to investment or consumption in such countries. These illicit financial outflows not only drain the economy, but contribute to serious crime terrorism, and security concerns for nations around the world. Deborah, we commend you for your leadership and courage in investigating and bringing to the U.S. Department of Justice the largest kleptocracy forfeiture action case ever brought in the U.S., freezing more than $458 million in corruption proceeds hidden in bank accounts around the world by former Nigerian dictator Sani Abacha and his conspirators. Could you kindly share with the listeners how your actions led to this major accomplishment? 
Yes, the Abacha case was actually very interesting. By the end of the day, we actually ended up seizing $630 million uh, related to funds traceable to Sonny Abacha. Frequently, the FBI is asked to help our foreign partners. There were several different ways that the United States will open an investigation, but in uh, cases like Abacha, you have one uh, one of the world's top kleptocrats at the time. Abacha died in 98 in office. Now, while he was the president of Nigeria, it's alleged that he took as much as $5 billion um, out of the economy. And, and that's and $2.34 billion of that was stolen directly out of the uh, government coffers, out of the central bank. And another $2.3 billion was stolen through other fraud schemes. When I was contacted by the Department of Justice uh, and asked to open an investigation into funds stolen by Sonny Abacha, uh, you know, of course I said yes, and those were the types of cases that I was working while I was at the Washington field office. So immediately I reached out to my Nigerian counterparts. You always start with the point of origin, and of course the point of origin for this crime was Nigeria. Uh, Nigeria certainly wanted the funds back that were stolen under the Abacha regime. So I started collecting evidence, trying to find out how the money was uh, diverted, uh, what evidence had already been collected in Nigeria, and then adding to that investigation. From that point, I just started tracing the money around the world. And, you know, where did it go? What evidence do I have? The program I was with, I did civil forfeiture. And in civil forfeiture, the money does have to be traced back directly to the criminal conduct. It wasn't just me, but myself, along with uh, other agents, financial analysts, and DOJ investigators, uh, we spent years uh, tracking down the money, tracing the money into bank accounts, getting mutual legal assistance agreements, working through MLAs or MLATs with other countries to get financial records. And at the end of the day, we were able to trace the money into numerous bank accounts around the world, different like uh, the Isle of Jersey or Guernsey, as well as the UK and elsewhere. And I filed civil forfeiture actions uh, in Washington, D.C. and in the U.K. And at the end of the day, we restrained and seized $630 million. Uh, was a group effort. It wasn't just me. It was myself and other in- agents and investigative analysts and financial analysts. And we, working with our uh, foreign partners, we traced the money around the world. The great news is that $480 million has already been ordered forfeited. I think another $150 million is still being uh, ultimately litigated. But just weeks ago, $308 million was returned from the United States and the government of the Isle of Jersey to the people and the government of Nigeria. So uh, it, it takes a long time. These cases aren't fast but uh, they are effective. Wow. The grand corruption is not limited to Nigeria, and now you're working in Sudan. Uh, we have also observed investments connected to Nigeria Bacha's partners coming into Italy and Croatia. In the most recent document for Croatia, the State Department, Bureau of International Narcotics and Law Enforcement Affairs acknowledges, I quote, Pervasive corruption and impunity in Europe provide breeding grounds for transnational organized crime and create opportunities for foreign actors to interfere in sovereign democratic processes to the detriment of U.S. foreign policy interests. 
governments corrupted at senior levels cannot be trusted to act as reliable partners of the United States or responsible stakeholders in the international community. Corruption has limited Western investment into European countries, which weakens economies and provides a lever for malign foreign actors to exploit." Unquote. What is your experience in dealing with countries in Europe on freezing and seizing of assets stemming from grand corruption elsewhere and preventing money laundering through real estate investments? You mentioned UK. Uh, what about other countries and any obstacles that you would like to share with us? There's a variety of different problems that arise and one of them was the 90s and into two th early 2000s is that a lot of banks were trying to expand into foreign markets. In several situations, they were willing to turn a, a blind eye to the source of the millions or billions of dollars that were running through their banks. In the case of Abacha, there were personal bankers who would uh, help the Abacha family move the funds. And of course, those bankers should have been aware of who their clients were, know their customer, and realize that if the money was coming from family members of a politically exposed person, that a great deal of due diligence should have been provided to find out that the source of, of the money was legitimate. The UK has certainly done a great deal to try to rectify those things, and, and several of the major banks have gotten out of uh, certain markets uh, because there was just no way to trace the money back or know that their customer was, you know, not dealing with corrupt funds. But you look at the um, bank uh, in Andorra. There was a lot of money moving from Venezuela through bank accounts in the country of Andorra. And one of the headlines in the newspaper said, you really have to want to bank in Andorra because it's not close to anything, right? Mm -hmm. It's a small little country up mm -hmm. in the Pyrenees Mountains. Mm -hmm. So it's like, why would people in Venezuela be banking in Andorra. Mm -hmm. And it's because some bank was willing to provide them with a friendly environment to move funds and not ask a lot of questions. There are you know, numerous banks. What I found also in several countries, especially countries where the countries are run by kleptocrats, uh, so many of the politically exposed persons have ownership interests in financial institutions. When they own the bank or own a portion of the bank, that limits my ability to get bank records from those banks and then trust that the bank records that I'm receiving are legitimate and haven't been altered. The ownership of banks is a major deal. One of the things I spoke on recently was when you're looking at a captured state, a country that has been hijacked by its uh, political elite, find, uh, and of course this happens a lot in Ukraine and Russia, that the oligarchs own not only or have a major investment into the financial uh, system, the banks of those countries, but then they also own the newspapers, the radios, the, the media. So everything, um, you know, is skewed. And the perception of the people in that country is skewed because they only see what's being put on by these government-owned or elite-owned uh, news outlets. You know, one of the things uh, the Century looks at is a hijacked state, and the FBI looks at that as well because these are your foreign partners. But if your foreign partner is a kleptocrat, how do you work with that country to, uh, if they are knowingly providing a safe haven for uh, kleptocrats and their money? And when we look at solutions, uh, the U.S. has a tremendous leverage.
leverage and tools to implement anti-money laundering measures. Uh, we can have targeted sanctions on corrupt regimes and international facilitators, such as bankers, lawyers, real estate individuals that are involved in business of real estate. We can stop aiding corrupt governments, uh, since we are U.S. taxpayers are major contributors to the World Bank and regional development banks, including International Bank for Reconstruction and Development. We can seize and freeze properties and bank accounts, and we can pull the dollar license from banks abroad, which are involved in money laundering for corrupt government officials. Are we effectively using these tools? Well, we are, but, you know, uh, with every great tool comes a series of unexpected consequences. So um, you may look at a bank and say, oh, you know, they're involved in some pretty shady business. Maybe the United States should delist them. But what you don't see is that Yes, maybe shady money is going through that bank, but there are only a few operational banks in these countries. And if you shut down that bank, if you if you delist it, if you prevent it from using U.S. dollars, then also aid workers in those countries will have a difficult time getting funds so that they can buy food, buy grain, pay for doctors, uh, assist in medical. And so you really have to step back and see, well, what can I do? And this is where you you had just mentioned targeted sanctions. So it may not be against the bank, but individuals. And it's those individuals who are enablers, whether it's lawyers or accountants and um, businesses that are allowing the money to move through their accounts or helping to hide, disguise, or conceal a kleptograph's ownership of assets. Those people really do need to be focused on for targeted sanctions. And of course, the Global Magnitsky is an excellent tool that the United States has been using. The UK now has unexplained wealth orders, and we would certainly encourage the United Kingdom to use those against kleptocrats who have offshored their illicit wealth in the UK. Working with uh, the FATF guidelines, there's a lot that can be done, but I, I would say targeted sanctions is a very good thing to do, especially targeting those people that are allowing the kleptocrats to move their money freely and to offshore their wealth in other countries. Correct. I was thinking about moving dollar license from some banks in Europe, such as the one that you mentioned in Andorra. There are other banks in these small city-states in Europe that are involved in money laundering. It's, it's public knowledge, and they continue to do so. And it's very hard to address the issue of beneficial ownership of accounts and preventing money laundering if they continue to hide uh, owners behind the accounts that are usually or mostly uh, government officials and or organized crime. Yes. You know, in those cases, what I would uh, argue, go uh, find out who their U.S. correspondent banks and their foreign correspondents for the U.S., Euro, pounds, and continue to highlight the corruption associated with the smaller banks, because if those banks are using uh, international dollars, pounds, euros, and uh, U.S. dollars, impact them by having them blocked by their U.S. correspondent banks, as well as their UK and other Euro banks. That way you can target that specific bank as well as the specific bad clients of that bank. The data from World Bank and the IMF over the years have shown us that these this illicit financial outflows is really in the billion 
billions of dollars. During the period of 2001 and 2010, the Balkans lost over $111 billion uh, in illicit financial outflows to crime, corruption, and tax evasion. And it's also interesting to note that at that same period of time, uh, and perhaps another additional five years from the mid-1990s, some $100 billion of aid uh, came from the West to help the Balkans you know, during that period of time after the regional conflict and then also through the reconstruction of that region. We have talked very briefly about Nigeria and its bad actors, how they moved monies into uh, the Balkans, uh, Southeast Europe, and a member of the European Union, uh, as well as NATO, which is Croatia. And uh, their uh, illicit financial outflows for the years 2005 to 2014 was some $35 billion. So when people think about that money, they don't really put it into context that it was 73% of the country's 2015 GDP. Uh, the work that you accomplished at the FBI, uh, the kleptocracy uh, initiative that uh, really has made a significant impact, uh, we truly need to see more of that addressing some of these challenges in Eastern Europe and in some of these countries that are part of the EU and NATO. You know, and what's interesting is I said one of the ways that the FBI opens an investigation is because we are get re a request from a victim country. And I will tell you, in a lot of the cases in um, Eastern Europe, we don't get requests because the current regime may have profited from the previous regime. And I will tell you, as an investigator, it's very difficult to trace money if the victim country isn't cooperating because that's where the criminal conduct occurred. That's where copies of contracts, movement of money, bank records exist. I think the financial international financial pressures from FATF, from the World Bank, from IMF, uh, from the United States and U.S. correspondent banks needs to continue to be applied to those areas because we're not going to necessarily get cooperation from the corrupt regime, especially any area where uh, the current regime is corrupt. There seems to always be a agreement to not go after the previous regime, and that's unfortunate because the people who were damaged by that are the citizens of that country. I would strongly recommend that uh, the U.S. as well continues its fight as one of the leaders against uh, kleptocracy in the world. But the United States, the international financial system really has to continue uh, adhering to status to identify and work with the U.S. government and other, uh, the EU, the AU, to do targeted sanctions and to really squeeze out the enablers that are allowing this money to move. I remember that when we met and you really made a case why Americans should be concerned about corruption and organized crime abroad. And you clearly pointed out that corruption and organized crime in other countries in the end may result in us sending our U.S. troops to those areas because we need to deal with corruption as a terrorism sometimes. And that's, that's a case that is happening in the Balkans. $28 billion in heroin that is smuggled annually from Afghanistan via the Balkan route and Croatia into the heart of Europe. 
So Afghanistan produces 90% of the world opium, which is needed to make heroin. Al-Qaeda, Hamas, Hezbollah, and ISIS are funded by the Balkan heroin trafficking, which brings in more than $28 billion in proceeds annually. We are sending our American troops to Afghanistan to fight against terrorism, while heroin trafficking continues undeterred, aided and abetted by corrupt Balkan politicians, some of them belonging to the same NATO alliance. And those $28 billion get into the banking system because they, they have to get into somehow into economy, regular economy. Uh, I would really like if you could kindly share why Americans really have to be concerned about corruption and what is going on in other places in the world today. There's not one answer to that. There's so many. In other words, when companies in the United States look to expand into global markets, in those areas where there are corrupt regimes, it's not an even playing field. In other words, only those companies willing to pay bribes can sometimes operate in those areas. Well, the, of course, the United States has a very strong Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, and we certainly encourage U.S. businesses not to uh, participate in any illegal activity uh, to, to venture into a new market. So, I mean, right there where there are other countries who are more than willing, as we see from the constant uh, new FCPA cases and uh, other corruption cases brought around the world, there are countries that are more than willing to pay bribes to uh, operate in those countries. That's one. So it just creates an unfair playing field for international business. But uh, on the next level, as you said, so many of the people, when you're looking at the U.S. fight against opiates, opium that's being produced in Afghanistan and the corruption in Afghanistan, what they don't factor in is the pathways the uh, of the, the movement of that money. And if I was telling somebody I'm investigating Afghanistan and, and where the money's moving, and then, and then I brought up the Balkans, they'd look at me like, I'm sorry, I don't understand the connection. And I'm like, yes, you have to know that the money is moving through Eastern Europe, and, and some, so are the drugs. So it's, it's not just a matter of focusing on Afghanistan, the origin of 90% of the opium in the world, but once it leaves that country, how is it moving? How is the money moving? What are the pathways and the networks? And are those networks the same networks that are being used for human trafficking, drug trafficking, sex trades, and other things? So it, it's got a, this domino effect. That's why I would you know, encourage Americans to say, you know, it's a bigger picture than you think. It's not just we don't want drugs coming into the United States. You have to know how this, the drugs are moving from Afghanistan out to the rest of the world. How is cocaine moving throughout the world? What can we do as Americans to, A, limit the movement of those items into the United States, but by stopping it and stopping its global pathways is equally important. Deborah Farrell engaged a listening audience. What can they do as individual citizens in assisting uh, those that are combating corruption and, and bringing this to light? What can they do from a local perspective or engaging members of Congress in their districts? What are the action steps for local citizens? After 9-11, everybody was, had the expression, you know, if you see something, say something. But the, the same motto stands true for kleptocracy. There, Yahya Jamaa, who was the former president of Gambia, who lost in the last elections, you know, he's identified as a kleptocrat, somebody who was involved in possible or alleged criminal activity. And yet he owned one or two properties in the United States. So who sold him the property? Did they know that, uh, you know, was it in his name? Was it in 
the name of a shell company. If it was in the name of a shell company, but they actually knew who was living there, then, you know, isn't somebody raising a red flag saying, you know, if this isn't an embassy property and it's in their name, how did how did this happen? Why is this money coming to the United States? Is anybody looking at that? And a number of kleptocrats have bought property in the United States. In the UK, they actually have a kleptocrat tour where they, you know, you can hop on a bus and drive around uh, London and look at uh, houses bought by foreign corrupt officials. Switzerland, I read recently that a chateau that or a castle that had been purchased by a Ukrainian oligarch was seized. I thought it was one of my former uh, investigative targets, but it was not. It was a different one. Especially like the real estate market, the luxury yacht market, the luxury aircraft market. There have been waivers for a know-your-customer rule. And why is that? We know that is some of the ways that people offshore illicit wealth. So shouldn't that certainly be a, a more stringent guideline for knowing your customer if you're dealing in luxury items? Uh, the amount of money that came in from Venezuela into Miami is staggering. And when you know what the regime is like under both Maduro and under previous Hugo Chavez, where is all this money coming from? Who in Venezuela has the type of money to be buying multi-million dollar mansions in Venezuela or businesses? But it happened. Several years ago, there was a 70% increase in the sale of luxury properties in California to Chinese nationals. Again, China is a communist country, you should at least ask the question, where's the money coming from to purchase these properties? And there's an excellent example of now that is skewing the U.S. Uh, real estate market in California. Because people come in, they have cash, they want to buy, and they're willing to pay over, over market. So if I were applying to, to purchase the same property, I wouldn't get it, because you know, even if I'm willing to pay the asking price, because somebody else is coming in from another country with cash in hand from sources unknown and willing to pay over uh, over market value. There's just so many things that the United States and other countries can be doing. You, you have to ask yourself, uh, I think it was last year that the United States uh, seized the Galactic Star, which was a Nigerian yacht that was part of a Nigerian oil deal. Two days ago, Nigeria seized a aircraft that was originally valued at $58 million that was purchased. But that aircraft was purchased in Oklahoma, where the FAA is located. And so where was the due diligence as to who was purchasing that aircraft and numerous other aircrafts that have been purchased by kleptocrats at that time? There's just a lot of tightening of loopholes that need to be done. And people in those fields, uh, real estate, luxury sales of yachts and aircraft, and uh, banking. I mean, you just have to ask yourself the question, if money is coming from an area that is known for uh, high-level corruption, uh, you have to ask yourself the, you know, the next three questions. Where is the money coming from? Who does the money belong to? Or what does it drive from? Honest and hardworking citizens are pushed out of the market, especially from the real estate market, most of the time when corruption from abroad actually comes to the United States. Absolutely. Deborah, it is truly a great honor to have you join us this weekend on America's Roundtable. We truly thank you for your time. Thank you, Deborah. Thank you both. Have a great day. I am Jolan Ansami, your co-host, joined by Natasha Sertorch, economist and co-founder of the
the International Leaders Summit. Thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. Visit our website, iLeadersSummit.org. Follow us on Twitter, iLeadersSummit and America's RT. On Facebook, International Leaders Summit and America's Roundtable. Thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable.